Welcome to Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale. Greetings, guten tag, hallo, salut, or however else you say hello, and welcome to VFTR 2.0. I am Chad, coming to you from the attic, aka the second floor of my cave, but I am joined by the co-host with the mostest, my good buddy, we call him Big Baby Daddy Diesel. Thank you, Dadalak. I am joining you in Diesel's Dapper Dungeon of Delight, where, like the New Day, we're going to spread a little positivity today because that's what we like to do. Because why be negative, even though we're probably going to spread some negativity too. But hey, there's going to be some positivity positivity sprinkled in. For sure. We're going to talk about some good stuff. We're going to talk about some bad stuff. talk about stuff that we don't like. talk about some stuff that we do like. Because, folks, this world is fucking nuts right now. So let's just focus on things that we can focus on and hope for the best. All right, let's just hop right into that first segment, which this week, because there's no news, it's time for hashtag TRT. Chad still didn't make a sound effect for this segment. So, yeah, we're just going to keep talking. So this week, it might be a little bit of a lighter episode, folks. You know, it's one of those weeks that finally in 2022, we didn't have 52 different wrestling news stories come out, which all seemed to just grow and build from the last one and just wild and wilder. We had what would someone consider a slow wrestling news week. So we're going to talk a little wrestling, and then we're going to talk about probably, you know, the hottest show on television right now, Stranger Things, since season four just wrapped up. But... First of all, Diesel, what are we talking for pro wrestling? Yeah, last Wednesday was Blood and Guts from the Little Caesars Arena in Detroit, Michigan. I don't know why I remember that. It's probably because Little Caesars, I don't know. Just, I don't know. Anyways, basically war games, but deathmatch war games. And, like, it's cool. <laughs> like... I, I like the concept. I like how they build it up against two factions like going up against each other, but it also kind of seems forced because it's like almost the same concept as the Hell in the Cell pay-per-view. You have to throw people in Hell in the Cell. It doesn't really naturally get a build that necessitates a Hell in the Cell all the time. So that like this one was just kind of thrown together. The Jericho Appreciation Society is only a couple months old, and so is the Blackpool Combat Club. So they're not even really factions that are even feuding for like ages to like make it a blood feud. I mean, I guess there's like little things with like Chris Jericho, Eddie Kingston, and how Chris Jericho turned on Santana and Ortiz, but then Moxley and like uh Claudio Claudio and Wheeler Yuta. Wheeler Yuta like I don't know it just it's kind of uh a little bit messy in a way I don't know it's I don't know I guess 
I'm not as into the Jericho Appreciation Society as I was because I kind of haven't done anything really. And also, I'm not sure I like that Sammy Guevara is in there because then it's just basically in a circle. And what's the point? I don't know. I mean, the match was fun. There was a lot of cool spots and stuff like that. I really did enjoy the uh, Real American spot. And I really, really, really wanted them to do We the People. I thought that would have been really sweet. If they did We the People and then just started punching each other in the face, that would have been awesome. Um, I mean, so it would have been a great callback for us, like, hardcore pro wrestling fans. I didn't even, like, think about them, like, going, like, head-to-head as them being a former tag team until they were actually standing face-to-face. I'm like, oh, shit. Like, yeah, I hated this tag team. (laughs) Isn't it so weird how Cesaro got thrown together into two separate tag teams and both of the tag teams are two of WWE's, like, best tag teams that just, like, for, like, a hot minute, they were the best thing in the whole company? Um, Three, because you're forgetting about the tag team with Tyson Kidd. I, I was. Fuck, I was forgetting about Tyson. Yeah, what the hell? Whenever they needed, like, a good tag team champion, like, oh, Cesaro's a good tag team champion. We'll just throw him with random guy here. Like, I love Cesaro and Tyson Kidd. When they did the swing into the dropkick, best finisher. One of the sickest. That Like, you can't tell me that didn't hurt every time. Like, there's right. no way to gimmick that, to not at least feel some kind of pain. But back to Blood and Guts, it was... It's awesome, but I mean, like I said, it's just war games. I don't like the fact that they're just waiting outside of the cage, too. I kind of like in war games, or at least the they're supposed to be in like a shark cage, and it's it's better that way. Like they're caged up because they can't get to each other. Like, what's to stop them from walking around to the other side and just fighting on the outside? It's just I don't know. There's just stupid things, and then it's almost like. Hell on a Cell back in the 90s or like late 90s, early 2000s. Like, you know, they're going to the top. It's like, guarantee they're going to the top. Like, so you're just waiting for it. And then having JR on commentary and talking about like how like they're trying to bring up the, the Hell on a Cell of Mick Foley and Undertaker and like basically giving away somebody's going to fall off this cage or I don't know. Just a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff being thrown at you. It was fun. I didn't hate it. I don't want like you come across that I hated it. And I'm glad that Blackpool Combat Club won. I'm glad I kind of had the way it finished where both uh, Claudio and Eddie had the submissions. And Claudio was the one who got the tap out. And Eddie was super pissed off because he wanted to beat Chris Jericho in this match. So, I mean, I liked the end but like it was pretty clunky but i would also also say this one was better than last year's because i didn't I don't know last year's was just weird but yeah and then i know there's a big tangent that i have about it that you're gonna want to discuss so i'm just gonna let you get into that but like what are your thoughts on it so in watching this back and as odd as this sounds because i've been very critical of these matches before the anarchy in the arena match was better than this by, I felt, a long shot. Like, that had that felt like it had more stakes to it. That felt like the actual more, like, kind of conclusion of this feud. This war game slash blood and guts match felt really tacked on to me. It, 
it didn't need to happen. I felt like because of like, especially how crazy that anarchy in the arena match was and just how like visceral and crazy, just all the different spots they did. And that finish with, you know, Eddie Kingston coming down covered in blood with a can of gasoline and then them destroying the ring to use it to kill Daniel Bryan, basically like that was so impactful. It was powerful. It, it left you like feeling something. This blood and guts match kind of left me with nothing. Like, I don't think I will ever think back on anything in this blood and guts match. Maybe, uh, what's his name hanging from the cage, bleeding, like in the upside down, like, you know, cross position for a second. I might think of that again, but in general, it, it was just there. It didn't, as much as I hate to say it, it just felt superfluous. It didn't need to happen. Like, the anarchy in the arena match was so great. It felt like Jericho Appreciation Society won. And if they would have left this alone and then let it slowly keep like simmering until next year's blood and guts, then I feel like it would have made a lot more sense. But since they just had this overly vicious and bloody match a couple weeks ago on pay-per-view, and then to put them in this blood and guts match... This just felt tacked on to give the Blackpool Combat Club their win back. This felt very WWE-style booking, where, oh, the Jericho Appreciation Society got the win last time. We got to give the Blackpool Combat Club back their win, or else people won't think they're good. I just, I, once again, I don't want it to sound like, because I didn't hate the match either. I thought it was a good match. It was fun. There were cool spots. There wasn't anything to, like, dislike about it, but it, it's supposed to be important, right? Blood and Guts is supposed to be, like, when it was in War Games, when William Regal came out, like, at least for the first few, yeah, by the third War Games, it was starting to get a little bit like, all right, we're coming to War Games season. That's why we have these 10 guys feuding. But, like, the first couple, when it was Undisputed Era just laying rough shot over people, and then William Regal would come out just so furious about everything they've done to say War Games... That felt like something. This blood and guts felt like nothing. It it just felt like it was there. And I don't know if it's because Forbidden Door just happened. And so they were trying to build both Forbidden Door up and trying to build to this blood and guts match. There was just too many fires on or too many, you know, coals on the fire, cooks in the kitchen. I don't know. Whatever fucking stupid metaphor you want to use here. But I just, I didn't love it. I, I didn't love it. And I could have done without it. Like, why they have it on Dynamite is, I don't, I don't understand why they have it on Dynamite because, like, the commercials kind of take you out of it. And, like, I know you watch a feed where you don't even get the picture in picture, and I watch it, uh, record it, and I fast forward to the commercials even with picture in picture because, like... I don't, I get distracted by the commercials and I don't even watch like what's going on. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's stupid that it's on dynamite and for it as like gory of a match. It is, it's, it's kind of weird that Turner is okay with like all of the stuff that they do. Like, you think at some point they'd be like, uh, we're cool with it every now and then, but you got to kind of, like, tone it down just a tad, you know? I don't know. I, and I think, like, maybe they need to tone it down just a tad just because they're doing it a little too much, and when you see it too much, you get kind of 
like numb to it and when it should be a big impactful moment it doesn't like doesn't play out the same because it's like oh we saw that last week like hangman page was bleeding like a stuck big die you know yeah so yeah i don't know it just there's a lot to like take in with this and I don't know. I guess I'm just not the biggest fan of the war games like stipulation. It makes sense to blow off a feud. I think it would be better if they would just pull it out of their back pocket when they naturally got to it. I'm fine with having it as a thing, but don't be like, well, we're having a dynamite every year that is going to, the main event's going to be war games or fun guts, whatever. It's because then it's expected and it's forced because I know I know that it's scripted, but I also want to feel like this could be real. Like I want to have that like disbelief that, you know, I want to feel like a kid again when I'm watching this. I don't want to actually think about like this is scripted TV. I just I like wrestling that way. I don't know. Maybe I'm weird, but yeah. No, that does bring up. Yeah, that does bring actually up another good point that I want to talk about, because a lot of things I've seen online is people bitching about the Sammy Guevara spot of Eddie Kingston tossing him off the top of the cage. Not because it's we've seen it so many times, which we have. It's very expected. We all knew someone was getting tossed off, but everyone's bitching online. The fact that there was clearly a crash pad under there for Sammy Guevara. Okay, folks, wrestling is you know fake remember and we want these performers to be safe so by constantly nitpicking every little spot and going well why didn't he throw himself off the top of the cage and just land on those tables he'd have been fine right remember these are fucking humans people like what is i like a time do that yeah exactly as pro a pro wrestling fan myself i defend the pro wrestling fandom as much as i humanly can But this is one of the things that I can't defend. These guys go out there, these men and women go out there basically at least once a week, some of them multiple times a week, and put their fucking bodies and lives on the line to give us a show. These aren't like actors where they have stunt doubles and a whole like cavalry of other people behind them to do all these different things for them. This is just them putting their bodies on the fucking line. Sammy Guevara was... 20 feet in the fucking air and let another man throw him off of something to land on a spot below. Do you know how hard it is just to do that? Have you ever dived off a diving board and try and hit a precise spot in the pool? Like, what is wrong with you people? Get your heads out of your ass and just show a little respect for them. Yeah, we're here bitching about maybe they don't need blood and guts, but you will not hear one of us say, oh man, you know, I wish... Matt Tremont would have, uh, you know, cut himself a little deeper there. I don't know if that blood flow was realistic looking enough for me. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you people? Like, just go, Sammy, fuck yeah, man. You let another man throw you off of the top of that cage for our enjoyment. And is it a cool fucking spot to see every time? Yes, it is. Could you see the crash pad? Of course. But who the fuck cares? I agree. And... I have nothing else to add because, yeah, like, seriously, it would be incredibly hard to land in that spot 
into like and that's the only spot where it's safe so you have to land there like what if he was just a little bit over and he hit the barricade like he would have seriously injured himself and maybe even killed himself so like hey, you ever seen a tk orion's leg snap like a twig because he hit the barricade wrong on a moonsault just from yeah. the apron yeah it was uh it was pretty crazy <laughs> disgusting um i don't know but i thought as a whole, the show was actually pretty decent. Dynamite last week. I really I want to talk about this for a minute. Um, I really liked the fact I liked the acclaimed a lot, and like I like they keep on getting better and better and better. I have liked the stuff that they were doing with the Gun Club, and I really like what happened on Dynamite, where Billy Gunn like chose them over the Gun Club or his sons. And I don't know why I liked it that much. I think it's probably because uh, Bowens always goes scissor me, daddy and you need uh, Billy Gunn <laughs> to do that. So I don't know. Ah! For some reason, but, it makes uh, me think of Al every time. It just seems like something yeah. Al would say to all of us. And like, that's something that Al would have made us all do all the time. Yeah, that's, that's our friend that nobody knows. But yeah, yeah, sorry. That's that's definitely a cut that doesn't really need to be in the podcast. But it is anyways. No, I, I agree. Just like uh, a sidebar ding. Sidebar I, ding. Uh, I uh, was watching Keenan SNL clips, and there was uh, Big Poppy on Weekend Update. And every time I see Big Poppy on Weekend Update, it reminds me of Al for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. Big lunch. Big lunch. <laughs> but what were we even talking about? Oh yeah, the scissor me, daddy Yeah. I don't know. I just I really like that angle. I thought that the show as a whole was a pretty decent dynamite. So for being a special dynamite, I think it lived up to that. Um yeah, so and apparently they're officially starting to phase JR out. But uh he's a He's a fucking idiot, folks. Like, seriously, how many times did he call Claudio Cesaro? And they corrected him, and he still just kept on doing it. And it's just like, dude, come on, man. I get it. He was Cesaro for, like, over a decade. But, I mean, Claudio isn't that far off from Cesaro. I mean, they both start with a C, maybe a little different, a sus or a claw, whatever. You know, just... Write it down. Just have a post-it note. His name is Claudio. Like, this is the only match you were calling. You dumb old man. I'm sorry, you're not dumb. You're really not dumb. I should take that back. But you're an old man. Well, the thing is, is if you really think about it, JR has been fucking out of the WWE for how many years now? So it's not like the Zaro matches as he called. That's what I'm saying. It's not like he had like this whole backlog, like with the big show or Mark Henry. Yeah. Or Christian even. I get it. He's and Christian. All those people still basically have the same name. So, but like, I would get it like, oh yeah, you fucked that up. You called hundreds and hundreds of their matches. How many Cesaro matches did he even call? What is even worse? He still calls Malachi Black Alistair Black, and I think he was out of the company before Alistair Black was like, I mean, a definitely thing. in the main roster. You know, yeah, maybe he was still in the company when Alistair Black started NXT, but like, it's just like, I mean, good for him. He's still watching the product, you know. But like, 
But if you're watching the product, then why aren't you watching the independent stuff that these guys were doing where they were these names for many years? It makes me sad because JR back in the heyday, like he would be, he was the storyteller. Like the, what he did on commentary in the Ed Trader was great stuff. And he doesn't bring that to the table anymore. He's just a voice up there that just, he's, He's lost it. He's lost whatever he had. And I don't, it's just so sad. It's, it makes me like, I don't, I don't want to say like, go away, but I want him to go away. It's, because I know that it's not much longer and he won't ever call a match again. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's, yeah. One of these matches is going to be his last match ever. And what? it'll be, it said one of these matches is going to be his last match ever. And we won't know it until it is. And it'll be a weird footnote in history. But yeah, I just, I, it's, I agree. And JR, even after the Attitude Era, in the Ruthless Aggression Era, in, you know, those like early 2000s to like, you know, even into the 2000s, like late 2000s, JR still had it, man. Yeah, what's we've talked about it on this podcast many times him yelling at jeff hardy reach for your dreams kid like is a line that plays over and over in my head every once in a while just out of nowhere i'll just it'll pop in there and it's like i get jacked up just thinking about it i'm like yeah i'm gonna reach for my dreams i mean yeah he, he doesn't provoke that like awesomeness well, i don't know like you know he, get that like emotion in you like in that moment like sometimes when he's yelling stone cold like i don't know he can't do that anymore he doesn't i don't know but like even though like as much as you dislike jerry the king waller their uh like connection to each other to like banter and stuff like that that made jr better and I don't know, but he was also more story focused. He was telling the story of the wrestlers, and now he just says stupid things about barbecue sauce and gets everybody's name wrong. And whenever somebody tries to bring up a point, he doesn't understand and he changes the subject. Yeah, I actually, I don't, I haven't watched back Forbidden Door. And I don't know if I'm going to, because I don't want JR to his commentary to kind of sully my experience of the whole show. I don't need to hear him say something dumb and go, ugh, ugh. Like, I, and once again, we bash on JR a lot in this show, and I'm sorry about it, folks. But it's just because we grew up with JR. We remember great JR. Even as a WCW kid, JR was the cream of the crop. Like, JR was who you wanted calling any big match. He, he was there. And yeah, especially Stone Cold matches. Like, JR on Stone Cold commentary or for, matches for whatever the fuck those words all made sense put them in the right order folks you know what i'm trying to say was something special him calling out stomp a mud hole in him just yelling it's stone cold it's stone cold these are things that will live forever in pro wrestling it's i i guess quasi sidebar ding um last night allison and i she had never seen the movie pulp fiction before and we watched it and she was like this movie's like watching Pulp Fiction back. There's a lot of colorful language in there, and it definitely hasn't. A lot of things haven't aged well at all. Like watching the movie back, a yeah. lot of it didn't age well, folks. I know we all look at it with rose-colored glasses and such. Go back and watch Pulp Fiction, and you're gonna go, 
well, fuck. <laughs> I, did, I did not realize this. And as we're watching it, she's like, did you think I was really going to like this movie? And I was like, no, I don't. It, it wasn't important that you like this movie. It's This is a part of cinema history, though. This style of movie, Pulp Fiction, is one of the most aped concepts of all time. Like so many like directors and so many movies themselves have all been inspired by this. The kind of slick, cool, like bad guys with the fast talking and then the like crazy action scenes out of nowhere. That's even aped in the MCU these days. Like Pulp Fiction is a huge piece of cinema history that should be seen. Like, yeah, it's a terrible, there's a lot of terrible things in it, but there's a lot of things about it that transcend decades and still bleed into today and to loop it all back jr is that kind of person going back and looking at it his announcing style has shaped wrestling in so many ways and will continue to shape wrestling for years forward does that mean he's any good right now probably not I think you just wanted to tell that story to throw public shade on your wife for not liking the movie pulp fiction Ah, it's a possibility. <laughs> um, yeah, that that is actually a fairly good analogy. I like. I think of like so many calls, like when somebody's like getting screwed and the referee's counting, and they're like two, and he's like, "No, damn it!" And like all of, like he was. <sighs> He could evoke this emotion in you, like where you were just like drawn in, and like he made you a fan of the baby faces and he made you hate the heels. He was so good at it, and now it's just it's he's a shell of himself, and it's just uh, it's so sad to see. But this blood and guts talk turned into JR talking again. We always get into JR talk. We do. I mean, it's it's impossible not to talk about the man when they put him on commentary and he just screws shit up left and right. Let's, let's talk about Excalibur for a minute because, I mean, I think that, in my opinion, he's improved a lot over the last couple of years. And my favorite thing about him is that William Regal refers to him as man in the mask. I... As someone who trashed on Excalibur pretty much exclusively for the entire first year of AEW, I have to say, he's won me over. He he still says some dumb things every once in a while, yeah. but I think is I, he knows the names of all the moves, I'm pretty sure. It's just in the moment, and I'm sure if I was in that situation on live TV trying to call things on the fly, I would fuck shit up, shit up as well. But he does. He's He's gained so much more emotion and... Like, even as the play-by-play guy, I still feel that he has so much to say now, and I actually quite enjoy Excalibur's commentary. I feel like he is a good Wish.com JR. Yeah. What do you think about it? Because he does convey that emotion sometimes in you. Like, he's the one who's going to be shouting the no, damn it, when it's about to be a screw job in the ring. And he he's good at it i i do like his chemistry with tony shivani i mean like we i mentioned last week taz he's definitely dropped a lot since his heyday and i think i would prefer him just to be the manager of team taz and cut promos i just i don't know 
Yeah, I also, I mean, their chemistry really is building and it has grown a lot since the beginning of Dynamite. I also will say that I am so glad there were those rumors going around way back when that Excalibur was going to join Death Triangle. I'm so glad they didn't go that route. I'm, I don't want any of the commentators in a faction. I don't, it's not the time in AEW to do that kind of thing yet. And it would be absolutely fucking horrible. So I'm just really, really glad they did not pull that trigger. Yeah, that would. I mean, they do have a commentator in a faction. It's Taz. Yeah, but really, when he's on commentary, unless Team Taz is in the ring, he doesn't really reference it. Well, I mean, he doesn't rampage because uh, uh, what's his face is on commentary all the time too. Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks. <laughs> I do like the way Taz says Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks. There's no R in Stark, if you didn't oh. know. It's Tony Stark. I'm man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay, well, on that note, I think that's going to wrap up our blood and guts slash AEW slash JR slash commentary chat. Let's move on to segment number two in Top Rope Topics. And right now, basically, hottest show in television. There's a lot of good ones out there. But if you go to social media, there's one that's dominating the roost right now. And it's obviously Stranger Things Part 4. As the two-part finale just finally released. And it's been five days. So if you haven't watched it yet, it's your own fault. I guess spoiler warnings ahead. Because we're going to talk about the whole season. And uh, what a fucking season it was. Yeah, uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder. We should get t-shirts with that printed on it because we say it all the time. But it's it's true. That's one of my favorite things about this show is like the anticipation. And when you get, when the season actually comes, and I know that you just like binge watched it all for the first time. I've been... I've been a fan since the beginning. So when the new season actually comes after the length, you have to wait for it. It's like every time it delivers. So I think season two is better than season one and season three is better than season two and season four is better than season three. It just keeps on getting better and better. And yeah, this season definitely delivered with a three year hiatus. COVID didn't help, but uh yeah, loved it. Yeah, we're, we're going to go episode by episode, see what we remember from each episode. I got it pulled up here, little synopsis and such. And also, yeah, Diesel's right. Allison and I watched the first season way back when, when it first came out on Netflix, and we enjoyed it. And then I don't know why. We just, like, there's so much TV out there and just with our lives and everything. For some reason, Stranger Things got pushed to the back burner and we didn't watch it at all. And then all of this, like, season four push happened. Like, it was everywhere. You couldn't, like, turn on a TV or watch anything without some Stranger Things, like, promo happening. Like, they were doing Pizza Hut stuff. They were everything on Netflix, everything on YouTube. So we finally went, well, whatever. I guess we'll sit down. And we started from the beginning. And we binge-watched the first, you know, four seasons, basically, because that was right when season four, the first part, had come out. And we watched it straight through. In like a month, because it's so fucking good. I don't know how we stopped watching it. It was great. It was amazing. And I completely agree. Each season definitely gets better and better and better as they go. But 
let's oh i was just gonna say i really like the way they like i didn't i mean i lived in the 80s for like a year and four months less than a year and four months but like i like how they make it feel like it's actually the 80s it feels like all those old great like movies like the goonies and stand by me like like it feels like the 80s you know i love how each season really kind of inspires the feeling of a horror movie like the first one's very halloween-esque with the demigorgon like hunting them all and then just never being able to get away from it uh the second season i don't know what horror movie the second season really would be the third season is clearly Land of the Dead or Dawn of the Dead. And then this last season, Nightmare on Elm Street, without question. Oh, yeah, for sure. I also like how every season is usually usually by a holiday. Like this, the fourth season wasn't, but the first three were, it was a holiday going on. So, yeah. yeah. All right, but let's crack into season four of Stranger Things. So episode one was The Hellfire Club. And this is clearly where their boys are now in high school. Uh, Dustin and Mike and Lucas are all part of the Hellfire Club with Eddie. But Lucas is also on the basketball team. And then we, of course, have uh, Will and everyone else off with Eleven in California. I really like the beginning of this episode with uh, Eleven like narrating like how her life is going like by writing a letter to Mike. And uh, obviously, my favorite part was when she was talking about Jonathan and his new friend. Uh, I can't remember his name right now. Um, but uh, they they've been, he's the best they've character. been smoking these funny plants, and they tell me not to tell Joyce. <laughs> the they fact smell that, funny. Shit. The fact that they just grabbed like a random stoner like character for this whole fourth season, and he's absolutely massively important throughout, just made me smile the whole time. Why can't I think of his character name? I I don't know. I don't either. But I love the fact that he uh, works at like a surfer pizza shop, and like when they visit, like later in the season, when they visit the surfer pizza shop, like the other guys exactly like him. Yeah. Like we can talk about that later. But uh, I love the way this episode begins. Um, I like that they already have a show that they are a little older now where Mike and Dustin are still like heavily into like D&D, but Lucas wants to be popular. So he joins the basketball team. And like, so there's like conflict there. Like, and then there's a whole bunch of stuff. Like then Nancy and Jonathan are on the other side of the country. And you got Steve coming in who still isn't over Nancy. And it's very apparent from like the season before. And yeah, a lot of good stuff right from the beginning. Them working at the video store gave me heavy nostalgic vibes as I did work at a blockbuster for around a year. Family and video. it was good that times. Was, it was just right down the street from my house. I would go there like every day in the summertime. Spent so much money in there in late fees. Uh, also, beginning of this episode made me feel very terrified as a parent. I won't lie. When Eleven presented her hero as her dad and that little bitch kid like spoke up and like the teacher didn't just swat her down. I was like, I swear to fuck. If anyone did that to my daughter, I would come in there and I would kick that little kid's head off. All right. You ever seen it? Black mass right to the dome. Oh man. Uh, but will it's like, he just sits there. It's like, 
poor Will. I mean, I, I, I get it. It's in his character because like he's messed up from like he was really young when he went in the upside down. So yeah. yeah. But yeah, I felt really there. bad for her too. And that little bitch. Yeah, she gets her comeuppance. She does get her comeuppance because at the end of the episode, Mike uh, ends up coming to California to meet up with them and stay for spring break. And uh, I think that's really where that episode kind of ends. Yeah, Mike. Doesn't he? He just comes alone, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, and it's Argyle. I I thought of his name while oh, we were Argyle. Yeah. Argyle Dude. is the best. <laughs> oh, clearly, actually, no. The end of the episode is obviously uh, the cheerleader going to Eddie and trying to get drugs from him. And you have the first full-on Nightmare on Elm Street style, just death, where this is... I, like, saw that this show cost, like, millions of dollars per episode, and I was like, that seems, like, a little intense. Like, how could it have been millions of dollars per episodes? From this first episode, it's like, oh, yeah, I see why they spent millions of dollars on each episode. Yeah, and, like, throughout the episode... Like they show the cheerleader and then they show her in the bathroom, like getting sick. And then like, hey, that's the first like Nightmare on Elm Street kind of thing, because she starts like freaking out. And like, you're like, you're wondering, like, what's going on? Who is this person? But yeah, at the end, when she finally dies and like she's lifted up in the air and like her bones turn like inside out. And like, yeah, and he Eddie witnesses it. It's just like, damn, OK, hey, this is going to be a good season. Like, I have no idea what to expect. And I didn't have any idea what to expect. They did a good job in the season. They really did. And I mean, just, yeah, the graphic nature of the death, like, right away. Like, I mean, I kind of, like, once her eyes rolled in the back of her head, I was like, oh, this is just, she's just going to, like, fall down. No, no. They, like, snap every bone in her body. And then finally, like, they show her neck snap to the side. And once again, whoever they paid to do the CGI for this show... Kudos, man. You guys fucking knocked it out of the park with, like, everything. Like, this was, wow, like, super impressive to start the season. All right, episode two, entitled Vecna's Curse. And this episode is when shit starts hitting the fan, where everyone starts hunting Eddie. And we also have the roller derby scene over out in California between Eleven and previously mentioned bitch face yeah so yeah eddie this happened i don't know if you mentioned it happened in eddie's trailer the cheerleader dying from vecna who is the monster like if you haven't seen the show and you're just following along from our review i feel sorry for you because you're probably gonna be like you guys you guys don't tell a very good story but anyways Vecna is the monster, and ah. well, the death happens, so they assume, like, everybody just automatically thinks that Eddie killed her because, for one, he's weird, and he wears a he's trench a, coat. He's and, a third-year senior, at least. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this cheerleader is really popular and wouldn't be seen with a guy like Eddie. So there's no logical reason why she would be there. And whenever like he tries to tell anybody that she was buying drugs from him, they don't believe him because she didn't do drugs, but they didn't know what was going on with her like psychotic, like visions and stuff like that. 
So yeah, Eddie's on the run. And is this the episode where the basketball team like starts to hunt him? Because no, they find out they have the party. Yeah. And I don't even remember. This was a while ago. This was in May when I watched this. Um, they have the party, and uh, the one basketball player begins after Chrissy. He begins to see the visions. You f- see for the first time that he's yeah, yeah. also actually no, I lied. His second is the reporter boy with Nancy. Oh yeah, you're right. That guy was a little bitch too. But anyways, uh, <laughs> he was always he was always the negative Nancy. His name should have been Nancy. Um. Yeah, it was uh yes, yeah, so, I don't remember. I remember they're at the party and then the cops came to question basketball player dude, I don't remember his name. Um I call him Dickface. Yeah. And, and right away from the first episode that he was in, I literally turned to Allison. I go, I don't like the cut of that kid's jib. I was like, I don't like him at all. And she's like, why? And I was like, I don't know, but I don't like him. I don't like him one bit. Sidebar, ding. Sidebar, ding. They uh so basically they did that with Steve in the first season. Like they made you hate Steve, but like after that, Steve is one of the best characters. And they did the same thing with um uh, Max's stepbrother. Billy. Yeah, they did it with Billy, except they kept it on and they like like they floored it. Like, yeah, like we want you to hate this guy. So we're gonna lay it on real thick. But anyways. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that guy is dickhead, and so yeah, that's when they decide to like hunt Eddie. But Lucas knows that like Eddie's not a bad guy, but he doesn't want to reveal that he's a nerd, too. Yep, and oh, yeah, we forgot to mention in the first episode that they had their biggest like end of the story, and Lucas had the state championship basketball game, so he couldn't miss it. And they needed a replacement, and so they got Erica, which I thought was awesome because Erica Lucas's is little sister, great. Yeah, she's one the of best. My favorite characters, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. So I like that she, they got her involved early, so she, it made sense why she was like doing all the stuff with her with yeah. them, like that. Like over the season, she's gotten more and more of a bigger role. And clearly, um, she's gotten even more into D and D since uh, season three, when Dustin, you know, calls her out for being a nerd. I don't remember where I was going with this, to be honest with you. But uh... well, we also didn't mention because at the end of the first episode, Joyce gets a letter from Wait, Russia, and it looks like a, a letter sent by the Riddler. And this is when Murray gets involved, who is actually probably the best character in the entire show. Murray's great. There's so many great characters in this there show. There are. Uh, because then or episode two leads to Murray coming and meeting with Joyce. And they make this plan that they are going to go try and rescue Hopper from uh, wherever he is. Because we haven't seen Hopper yet at this point after his death. The post credit scene after season three. That was it. Yeah. And it was just alluding that he was alive. Like, the yeah, American. Because he confirmed it. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that that's crazy. I can't believe I forgot about that whole storyline. Like, there, there's three, there's four stories going on at one time, like during parts of this thing, and that's why the episodes are so fucking long. Yeah, but they don't feel long. Like, 
I don't know when something is as good as this is like, you could put a five hour episode out there and you'd be like, damn, I was only watching, I was watching it for five hours. Felt like two. Yeah. Like, Oh, I watched yeah. it for five hours. Maybe I'll watch it again. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The beginning of the season was really good, but like the beginning of the season was the worst part of the season. Oh yeah. This like, was all set up. Like that was the craziest thing about this season four is that all of the setup to the season was basically as crazy as the end games in the seasons before where like they were already at 11, not ah, pun intended when the season started and they just kept going higher. You know what? I just had this thought this season kind of reminds me of Harry Potter and the half blood prince in a way like the build up to like the reveal of, you know, the one moment we'll get to when we get there, but you know what I mean? Yeah. If you think about it, like the way they built it up it like with the memories and yeah. Yeah, no, I got, I got your feeling. I had a very um, Avengers infinity war kind of feeling from this entire season as well, where they were just oh, battling. Yeah, the, yeah. the second to last episode. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Battling against an unstoppable force. It felt like. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but this episode kind of concluded with Eleven getting her revenge and taking a roller skate and fucking you know, bashing bitch backstory. face. We got to talk about the backstory, how weird it was that, like, she wanted Mike to think that everything was all good and, like, she had friends and didn't want Mike to worry. So this bully, the one that, like, made fun of her about her hero project was, like, out to make her look stupid in front of Mike, but she was trying to act like they were friends. And then they did, uh, didn't they basically like clothesline her? Uh, they put like her that? in the middle of the roller rink and put a spotlight on her and then played wipeout and then tossed a milkshake on her. And then everyone oh, laughed yeah. at her as she was laying in the middle of the roller rink. Once again, yeah. someone does that to my daughter, I'm going to kick your head off. I'm coming the for you. All time, Will's watching her like weave these webs of lies, and he doesn't say anything. Yeah. And like his whole thing is kind of weird too, but like I kind of like what they're doing with Will. Like it works. Like I understand everything about like I don't know these characters work together. But yeah, then Mike goes and he like like makes turn off the music and blah, whatever. And then they have the confrontation, like, outside of the, like, rink part. And, like, she gets really mad. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention in the first episode, she tries to use her powers on her. Like, yeah, she and everyone her laughs at her. And, like, yeah, everyone just laughs at her. And so then she gets made fun of for that. So then she really loses it and just takes the roller skate and just hits her in the face with it. And, yeah, like, busted her face good. Yeah. And this is also when they've begun to show these flashbacks of Eleven standing in this room with a bunch of dead other kids and her just like covered in blood. So they're like really like, hey, just so you know, Eleven might be crazy and everyone might need to be worried about this. They were like at the beginning really trying to hammer that point home. Yeah. Oh, man. They did a really good job with with uh, this setup. This, yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, so that was and then at the end of this episode, I do believe is when Reporter Boy dies as well or either dies right away at the beginning of the third episode. I can't remember exactly when he dies. I think he dies at the end of the second, if I recall. Yeah, I'm not 100 percent. I think that's like the way it ends. Yeah. Quick successive kills, which are both grisly and awesome and terrifying. The Vecna taking their worst memories and like that reporter kid apparently survived a car crash and having the other people who died in this car crash, like come after him in his memory, man, that would fuck you up for sure. Yeah. Okay. On to episode three though, which was entitled the monster and the superhero. And this is when things really start to just escalate to an nth degree as you have Elle getting arrested, first of all, for attacking the girl with the roller skate. You have Nancy and Murray flying to, not Nancy, uh, you have Murray Joyce. and Joyce flying to Alaska. She and has a work conference when she's a telemarketer. Work conference, which totally makes cool. sense, obviously. You also have Robin and Nancy going to the insane asylum to dig up the stuff on the previous quote-unquote Vecna deaths that may have happened, or the old serial killer who was in Hawkins, which they did never reference before, which I thought was a little weird, but whatever. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's just a fucking wild episode. They, the, uh, the same asylum scene when they're, like, I, first of all, I like how they trick the staff into letting them go and interview him. Uh, and it's the dad of Vecna. Yeah. And like when they interview him, you get played the by story. Robert England, AKA yeah. Freddie. Yeah. yeah. Which is awesome. Um, and you get the story of like what happened and you see this kid like, no, you don't, you don't never mind. That's later on. But like he, this house is haunted. He thinks and his family is haunted by these visions and he was apparently in the war and he did some terrible shit during the war and it's also terrorizing his wife and his daughter yeah some fucked up stuff this is very this was very amityville horror when i was watching this part i was like "Ooh, this is this is dark when and then when they're telling the story there there's this Vecna's uh, dad basically is uh, the child's dad. Sorry, spoiler. I, yeah, I fucked up. Anyways, the child's dad is like having his like vision and everything like that. And while he's having his vision, the mom and no, the mom was already dead. The daughter died, but for some reason, the dad was saved, and they figured out because there was music playing in the background, and it drew him away from whatever was doing this to him but at the same time he was still blinded and no he blinded himself later see this has been a while since i've seen it like because he wanted to join his family yeah he tried to kill it's fucked up but yeah the part with the music is very important dream a little dream of me by ella fitzgerald it's a classic tune but yeah that part is really important the end of this episode is also nuts the first three episodes all end on a death and this is the one where the basketball team is hunting Eddie and they find him at the beach house and Eddie jumps on a boat and is trying to yeah paddle his way out 
with Jason Dickface, and then the other basketball team member jumping in to try and swim after him. But the other basketball guy gets once again taken by Vecna and killed in the lake, and this sends Jason off the fucking deep end. This was like the first of many real, real intense like scenes. Like I was like on the edge of my seat, like, oh my God, what's gonna happen? Because you just don't know. You don't know. But yeah, then also Lucas was there too, and he was trying to help Eddie, but at the same time, not blow his cover of being a nerd. No, this is actually after that because this is uh, at oh, the man. beginning of the episode is when Lucas uh, leads them to L's old cabin and then runs off. Oh, he yeah. ditches okay. him. No, I, I just watched it more recently than Diesel. Please forgive him. That's why. That's why we're doing yeah. it together. Um, what else happened in this episode? Uh, the very end of this episode. I know. That... I remember the very end. Is that where we're headed? Yeah. Oh, uh, the the scene with the basketball player and dies yeah. in the dies in the air, air in the lake. Yeah, yeah. It did like that. Jason snapped after that. No pun intended. To even though Jason's not the one who died, but still, yeah, still a good pun. He's he's crazy. That man is crazy. And then at the very, like the tail, like last little stinger of the episode is Max revealing to all of them that she's been seeing visions this whole time. And you see Max see the grandfather clock that all the other three victims had seen before they began to get murdered. So you realize, oh, fuck, Max is now our fourth victim here. Yeah, that's real crazy. Oh, also, L gets taken by uh, the government again. So, fun fact: Paul Reiser's back. Didn't know how did how did Paul Reiser like get another get a, this role in TV? Like he was supposed to be a small character, it seemed like, and now he's like a major player in the show. I don't know, but I love it. Like he's really good in his role, and yeah, you just, wait. So that I'm so yeah. I don't know. I'm thinking so that they. They got L now, right? Yep. I was, yeah. A lot going on. I'm trying to remember everything from the show. And, like, I'm getting things jumbled now. And I wasn't 100% listening to you. Okay. That's all right. Paul Reiser's awesome. (laughs) Paul Reiser's awesome. That's all that matters. And uh, we'll move on to episode four. And, yeah, at this point, we might start, you know, mixing things up here a little, folks. You know, this is when the season really started ramping up. So to remember exactly where they all occurred, we know they happened right around here. And it's just fun to talk about, okay? If you don't want to listen, then don't listen. I'm sorry. This is just the episode. It is what it is. We move on to episode number four, which is entitled Dear Billy. And this is when it got real sad because Max is clearly being hunted by Vecna and has basically accepted her fate that she's going to die and so is writing all of these basically death letters to her fan or for friends, her family and everyone you have. Finally, we get to see Hopper. We've seen him a little bit, but in his full glory in Russia, trying to enact this plan to escape and meet up with Joyce, who he doesn't know is coming, but he has heard from the corrupt uh, soldier there in the prison that it is in the workings and he has to break his own damn ankle to you know shimmy out of the like ankle bracelets he's in just 
crazy stuff. There were so many storylines going on in this season, and yet it wasn't too much in the slightest. I know. Like, you needed all the storylines. And, like, everything ended up connected, too. So that's what made it, like, the best part. Even though, like, the characters didn't know that it was going to work out the way, like, they worked out the best case scenario, but they didn't know. They just hoped it would, and it did. But, yeah, uh, seeing Hopper, like, in that Russian prison, like, doing work detail in the snow and, like, all the, like, scars on his back and, like, yeah. It's like I felt bad for him because, like, he didn't deserve that. He was the hero of Hawkins. Like, and this is how, like, he's treated, like, it, it was just a shitty thing. Like, he sacrificed himself, and this is what happened. And, like, I'm sure he wouldn't have had it any other way. But, yeah, it was. And then with the whole, like, guard, like, who was on Hopper's side, and he was going to try to get him home, hiring Yuri, the pilot. The peanut well, butter yeah, smuggler. That, yeah, the peanut butter smuggler. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, that, that turns out to be not such a great idea because Yuri decides that, well, if you're going to pay this much, I bet you if I tell the warden, he's going to pay even more, and that's what he did, and when they did make their escape, not only was Hopper in prison, so was the guard. Yeah, it was really deflating, especially since they showed Hopper actually make it out. He made yeah. it to that, like, Yuri's, like, storage area with all the stuff. He's eating the peanut butter. Everything seems happy. And then, yeah, they're just having Yuri's on the phone with that guard talking about the fact, oh, everyone would pay so much more for corrupt guard. And then the fucking soldiers bust in and they, like, take Hopper back. And then they're like beat the shit out of them and they're dragging him back to the prison. That was once again, that's like beginning very infinity war kind of just beating your head against a wall and nothing is going right. Every time you think that the good guys are like a leg up, like something bad happens because then this episode has Vecna trying to take Max and yeah. holy fuck. Well, not only that you have over in California, now that they've gotten L, they have like the FBI or somebody is like watching over the house and they're like basically prisoners in this house and they devise this plan to like use Argyle to order a pizza so they can escape and go to um, Dustin's girlfriend's house so they can find L. Um, there's a lot going on with this, and so then when they the guards agree, yeah, we're hungry, we'll order a pizza. They get the doorbell rings and they think it's Argyle. No, it's not Argyle, it's these uh other people that are trying to steal L that's like with the government and they're trying to kill her, and they shoot the guards. The fucking kill squad, like, yeah. And so then they like jump out the window, and here comes Argyle pulling up, and he goes. Oh, is it having a party when I wasn't even invited? <laughs> oh man, what's are you guys bleeding, man? What's that? What's going on, man? Are those guys dead? And they're just like drive. Yeah. <laughs> Why are those guys getting up, man? Yes. And they go on then they go on this adventure in this like pizza van, which is awesome. And to go and find Dustin's girlfriend, which 
I think that's the next episode when they arrived to her house. But oh man, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, then, we have we have to talk about Max's adventures in the Upside Down with Vecna, because damn, they went they went real dark, and I forgot just how like crazy Billy is until they just kept bringing him back, and they made it more crazy, like with all the dark shit he was saying to Max, like and the letter she read to like his grave about like wanting to be you know a little sister to him and everything like man that shit was dark and then you really thought that vecta was gonna get her like he had her all tied up and it it was looked like it was over i don't know like the time length of like how long the scene was but it it felt really long and it's like the anticipation with like yeah i think like she's gonna die i think they're gonna kill a main character right here it's like when she's like hanging up in the air and it's like oh my god like is are they actually gonna do this like this is gonna like if they do this this could be the moment the show jumps the shark like that could have been it but no like nancy and uh uh, Robin arrived just in time to give him the news that it's music like it's music that will bring her out of it and she had her headphones and she also had uh, Chad's new favorite song that was the theme of this season I forget what it's called right now running Kate up the Bush's hill. running up the hill um, be running yeah, up which, that road be running up the hill it was a song that i never like i i've heard because it's like been on the radio a lot but it's a song that i never really paid attention to or like thought like huh this is a pretty good song but now my opinion has totally changed and every time when i hear that song it's gonna be like good memories and like like they changed that song forever for like a lot of people and like i don't know like facts or anything like that but if it was like number one on the charts again for some like i don't know how far it it was peaked Uh, there was an awesome meme that was out there that said okay so top gun is number one in cinemas kate bush's running up the hill is uh trending number one for the music and we're in a proxy war with russia so we're really just doing 1986 over again awesome so yeah, and so when she hears the song, she comes out of it, and it's like, oh my god, that was intense. Like yeah. I don't know. Or running that up that road, most... dodging, dodging shit in slow mo. That was the most intense scene of the season up to the point it was. But like, I mean, it's up for the running because like the feeling I had in my gut was like, oh no, like this is it. She's dying. And like when she doesn't die, it was like I had a feeling of like relief, but I was still like scared. And it's like next episode, please. Like seriously, like they do a really good job of making you like have to watch all the episodes like back to back to back. Like it's hard to take a break. It is so hard to take a break because, yeah, you finish on that note of Max surviving, but then you go. Well, she just survived. There's still what? What are they gonna do? What we? I have to know. I have to know where we're going. Which thankfully we can, because we can go right to episode five. Episode five titled "The Nina Project," and this episode, yeah, <laughs> yeah with L being shown where she is being taken to this desert, this 
facility in the middle of nowhere. And as she enters and sees a big fucking steel tank kind of thing, who walks down the fucking stairs but dickhead himself from season one, Papa, a.k.a. Dr. Brenner. And, I mean, you knew he had to come back. We we didn't see him die. But still, him coming down the stairs to begin, I was like, that son of a bitch. Oh, man. Like, we are in the end game. Part of me was wondering if they were doing a flashback, if it was a dream. Like, they... Like they could have done it anyway, and like, but I'm glad that they did it the way they did it. But yeah, it's like son of a bitch. Now, and then her head was shaved again, and she was back in her gown, and it's like, what's going on here? I didn't really know what they were doing, but I mean, I figured it had to do with getting her powers back. I like how Paul Reiser had a different motive than dr brenner did because dr brenner just wanted to have a weapon and paul riser just wanted to help l that's the only reason he was there he didn't care about any other thing but to help her but yeah it was like when that episode started it's like oh shit now where are we going now and it turns out uh we went down a really really crazy road Yep, because this is when we start to relive Elle's past that she does not remember in uh, flashback scenes, I guess, is the best thing to call them. And I said, yeah, I uh, said to Allison, the beginning of this, when she's just like in that hallway and every door just leads to the same room. That's like one of my worst nightmares ever. Like that would fuck with me so much. Like I wouldn't be able to handle just. No, I'm just trapped in this one spot. No matter what I do, it would just drive me insane. Yeah, it's it was really weird because it was kind of like Groundhog's Day-ish in a sense where like, yeah, she kept on having to redo certain things because like she wasn't going, she wasn't doing things that had really happened in her memory, I guess is the best way to describe it. I don't know. And then there was this like orderly that was in like all of her memories. And at first he was just kind of more in the background. Um, He got more heavily involved like with L like throughout the I think the next couple episodes because it's like this is this isn't just a one episode thing. She's in the lab for like almost the rest of the season. It's just about uh, but then, yes, we also have now Hopper recaptured by the Russians and now being looking to be fed, basically, it seems, to the Demigorgon. Because we did see way back when, at the beginning of the season, a just group of random Russian prisoners basically get fed to some kind of creature that we obviously all knew was a Demigorgon. Come on, folks, we're not dumb. But they have Jones a great scene with the Russian now, too, right? Huh? Joyce and Murray are in Russia now, too, right? No, they're not. They're actually... Yuri is just captured them, and they're flying currently oh. right now. This is the airplane scene, or airplane time episode. Yeah, okay. Okay. 
Yeah. So, and then with having them have the wonderful like scene where they're uh, being fed all of the great food and all they have like all the liquors and such and all all these Russian guys are like, oh, they're they're feeding us so that we can you know attain victory uh, against this creature and we will beat them. And Hopper is just completely sullen and like they're not feeding us so that we can win. They're feeding us so we're fat and the creature will be satiated. They don't they know we're not going to win. They don't give a fuck about us. But all the while, he's got a plan because he knows what Demi Gorgons hate. And I saw him steal that bottle of uh, vodka right away. I was like, hey, there was a bottle of vodka there. Oh, now it's gone. Oh, I wonder. I wonder. Then he gets his ass kicked so he can steal the guy's lighter. Yep. And yeah. He did have a plan because he knows Demi Corgans hate fire. Fire. And yeah, that's how he got out of there. So yeah, I think we've we've jumbled some things here and there because so we're just gonna go to episode six because we've talked about everything that happens up to this point, I'm pretty sure. Because like the death of the basketball player might have actually occurred a little later than we thought it did. Maybe there wasn't a death in every one of the first few episodes. But we've talked about all the deaths, so that's what matters. Mm-hmm. Because episode six is called The Dive. The Dive. Yes, this is when the kids that are still in Hawkins uh, figure out that, oh man, what if there's a gate at the bottom where uh, the kid was taken? So some of them dive down to the bottom of the lake and enter the upside down. Eleven keeps exploring her past, and we also have Joyce and Murray fighting Yuri on the plane and then leading to the plane crash and them being stuck in the wilderness. Yes, okay, so I was uh, having visions to another plane crash scene from something totally different. It was from uh, Dress World Dominion. So like I was I was jumbling those two scenes in my head. So I I remember the plane crash scene from Stranger Things, I think. <laughs> my hands are like spears, my feet like oh, iron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just starts pushing all the buttons and stuff. Yeah. I told you not to knock him out. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, Maria's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, we have Steve entering into the Upside Down, uh, trying to figure stuff out and being, uh, once again, I thought they were going to kill a main character. I thought this is when we were going to lose Steve as he yeah, gets absolutely. season, it kind of felt like if anyone's going to die, it's going to be Steve. Yeah. And they kept on, like, like giving you these, like, little lines where, like, he's going to say something and you're going to, like, it makes you, like feel like oh steve you know and then when he dies like oh no he's not gonna have those six little nuggets and go on those road trips oh yeah and he's talking about wanting to have kids and everything like that and but yeah when he got assaulted by these bat-like creatures which i thought were greatly designed didn't see him coming and just once like it looked at first you know he's got his bat he's gonna be fine steve's got his ass kicked many times I really thought he was going to die. Like he was getting murked by those bats. And then even afterwards, I thought he just might bleed to death. Yeah. How did they get them off of him? I don't remember. Uh, Cause Nancy and the rest of them dived off the boat, including Eddie and Robin. And they came in there and they kicked him off. This was before they found the other gate. 
Yes, actually, this is what leads to them going to find the other gate because they have to take refuge in the forest in the Upside Down. And while this was happening, uh, Lucas and... Dustin. Uh, Dustin, was Erica with them? No, Erica yep. wasn't there. It's Lucas and Dustin. They get caught by the police and brought home. And one of the more funny scenes of this season when, like, I don't know, Mike's dad annoys me, but at the same time makes me laugh. But, uh, <laughs> gosh darn commies. But, uh, yeah, when they bring home in Erica, like, when they're trying to, like, tell their stories to the cops, she's, like, poking holes in their story because Erica just being, like, little sister. And, yeah. But uh, that's when they get Erica to join them after that because they need her even more. But yeah, that was that was just a like funny little thing that they got picked up by the cops. Yeah, and uh, Max is obviously with them, and they're trying to make it. Uh, I don't know why we were down by the lake where a murder happened. We were just messing around because they're trying to keep them off the tail of all of them who paddled out to the middle of the lake to find the gate. But yes, and then this leads to them finding going back to Eddie's cabin and realizing that there is also a gate there from where a death occurred. And you get a fun little physics thing where they drop a rope down and it pulls both ways, which I thought was just a fun little kind of tidbit, sciencey fun thing. Mm-hmm. I did too. And I really like the fact that, yeah, they have to go up to get through the gate, but then they fall down. And because it's upside down and just, yeah. And I wouldn't have been able to get up to that gate. I just wouldn't have been able to go. I'm like, sorry, guys, I'll stay back and do something from here. Yeah. And then this uh, episode, I do believe, also has the wonderful scene where we actually get to meet in person Dustin's girlfriend, Susie, and see her absolutely insane household just filled with kids all doing absolutely insane things. She gets her computer taken away. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I like that they don't overly use her, but I also want to actually see Dustin and her like in person together because they're like phone call, like your walkie talkie chats or whatever in the third season were awesome. Oh, it's so funny. And I mean, the song, uh, the never ending story song, when they start singing it, and Argyle goes, Oh, never ending story, bro. <laughs> Argyle has the best. a crush on her sister. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the cool things about the third season is the whole season, they go along this line. Does Dustin have a girlfriend or does he not have a girlfriend? And I think it's hilarious because like the whole time you're not sure if his girlfriend's real or not either. So they did a really good job. And then when they revealed that he actually had a girlfriend, it was like one of those redeeming moments. Like, yes, good for you, Dustin. We're rooting for you, man. You got your teeth and now you got a girlfriend. Woo! I would tend to agree, and I'm glad they don't have Dustin doing the purring anymore, though. That that was quite uh, ridiculous. I do love the whole season, though. He has his uh, hairstyle that Steve taught him to do, and he's rocking it the whole time. 
Well, I mean, Steve and Dustin are the best duo on the show. We yeah. didn't get enough Steve and Dustin scenes this season. That is true. We didn't because we got a lot of Dustin and Eddie scenes, though. So, you know, those were important. Yeah. And oh, yeah, those definitely were important. Dustin is the heart of the show, though. Oh, by far. But yeah, so we had the team getting back. So we'll just go to episode seven, which was the final episode before that they released right away. So this was basically kind of like a season finale in its own. And this is when hour and a half too. So the longest episode of this part. And so like, I like how the end of the season, I'm like, we're going to give you movies instead of shows. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Uh, How did this episode start? Uh, this season starts with them once again diving into Elle's memories uh, a little deeper, I do want to say. Oh, yeah, yeah. this is like like heavily focused on that. Uh, they didn't have... Oh, I didn't tell you anybody... the title of the episode. Sorry. It, the title of the episode is The Massacre of Hawkins Lab. So, actually, they didn't... We, uh, they didn't have like Mike or Argyle, Jonathan, Will in this episode at all. They ended in the last episode. They found out the coordinates of where uh, Elle was at. Uh, that's yep. what uh, Susie is her name. That's what she did to uh, help them. So their storyline is just like not in this episode at all. So it basically focused on the Elle stuff and the Hopper stuff. Yep. And the Elle stuff, this is the one that like reminds me of the Half-Blood Prince because of like all the flashbacks and like I don't know. It's just and throughout you get more more into her story and like she starts not to be able to take it because it's getting more and more real and like you still don't like know what's going on. And she's been having flashes the whole time of all of those dead children as well. And she's pretty sure no one like keeps asking uh, Dr. Brenner, a.k.a. Papa, am I responsible for that? And he won't tell her. And they're having to ramp up the project because the military is hot on their tail. And they know that also Vecna is ramping his game up. So they kind of went from walking to running right away. And now she must fly. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's real crazy. So all the story, like the uh, like orderly, is like basically talking to her and telling her all this like different stuff about like how like this is a prison and like he's gonna make his escape, but he needs her help and all this stuff. And so then she's getting close to him, and then eventually you find out that. Uh, he is number one. Yep. And number one is also the little boy from the story that when Nancy and Robin went to interview the guy at the insane asylum and he controlled his parents' mind, his family's mind, and he's the one who killed them and snapped their bones. Everything. He's Vecna. And it's like, oh, shit. And so then basically he gave her the option to join him or fight him, and then kind of got uh, Harry Potter versus Voldemort kind of like stream thing going with their powers, and like, and Ella went nuts. Like, she went to another level, and like, she burned him, and like, burned Banished him into, his ass. upside down. Yeah. 
and like what she thought she killed him. Well, she did this, I forgot, because he killed all the like other kids in the whole facility. And like the whole scenes that you come and saying that she is asking if she was responsible for, he was responsible for it. And she got really pissed off about it and just, yeah, murked him. And then Dr. Brunner walks in and asks, what did you do? And like, was all disappointed in her. And then she passes out and that's why she forgets everything. But when she wakes up is after this, right? Yep. Cause the end of the end of this episode is watching number one, uh, like floating through the upside down, being struck by lightning and being made to look more and more like Vecna as he goes. And then the final shot is of Vecna's wrist and you can see number one tattooed on it. In case you didn't catch it, they really wanted to hammer home the point. Hey, he's number one. All right. Same guy. Same guy. And then, then you have the whole Hopper stuff. What was going on with that? Because they get to Russia. Yeah. Uh, Hopper... Is preparing to battle the creature. They're making a plan about the fire and how to survive and everything like that. And this uh, goes into the hopper. The end of this part of the episode is them fighting with the demigorgon, like beginning the fight with the demigorgon. And Joyce and Murray are at the cabin. Uh, Joyce and Murray have just found like, yeah, they're at Yuri's, um, like depot. Yeah. Yeah. We have peanut butter. Yep. But they head towards the prison, correct? Yep. And do they watch him fight the Demogorgon or do they they not meet up with them until after part two, basically? Uh, they, no, they start, they're here at the very beginning because they're being shown around. And they don't get to see Hopper yet, but he is about the battle's about to begin. And then Murray pulls a gun on him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's definitely ringing more bells. But yeah, that was pretty intense. That was basically both storylines in this whole episode. And uh, but the ending of this episode, finding out that number one was Vecna. And like what actually happened in that room with all those dead people, dead kids and stuff, like was intense. And yeah, it was a good way to end it and be like, damn, I can't wait for part two, which is only two episodes, but four hours worth of two episodes. So yeah, and we I only had to wait a few weeks. Because uh, it took us a little bit to finish it. For everyone who binged it on day one, I'm sorry that you had to wait that like full like two months of it. Because that was that would have been rough. No, it wasn't that bad. There's other stuff going on. Yeah, uh, but yeah, we'll just uh, we'll talk about the finale as one basically because it was called Papa and Piggyback. And I'm gonna be honest, I don't really know how to separate what happened in the two episodes into separate thoughts. Because everything just kind of built upon itself and just kept building and building and building until we got to the conclusion. So, yeah, like I watched both these episodes this weekend because it came out this weekend. And then, yeah, even though they're fresh in my memory, I'm still having the same problem. Uh, The first episode, how did that one start? Uh, That started with the boys who weren't in the last episode at all. Will, Mike, Jonathan, and Argyle searching through the desert. 
um, trying to find the coordinates that Susie had given them and them arguing about it and them talking about Argo. How is he still high? Right. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so they're driving through the desert and like this place is in the middle of nowhere and they don't and like they have the coordinates and Jonathan doesn't believe him. So they get out and <clears throat> they, uh, Jonathan checks and like proves that, yep, that's where the coordinates are. While they're doing that, Argyle's just wandering the desert and finds these tire tracks. And he's like, you know who has big tires? The government. <laughs> they drive that way. And yeah. then that's when they find the compound. Yeah. Well, that leads to them finding the compound because yeah. then we, uh q2 actually in the compound where l is saying that she needs to leave now because she has to go help her friends and paul riser's character is like yeah she we said this wouldn't be a prison and dr brenner agrees for a minute and then as we cut from that scene we cut to the military closing in on the facility and then we go back to inside the facility where dr brenner loses his fucking mind and once again captures Paul Reiser's character and beats the shit out of him and then tries to fuck with L. Which, uh, bad idea. Bad idea. Cause those people, they came in there and they just killed everybody. Yeah. Like they didn't even care. And yeah. So then eventually realized that the only way was for them to get out of there. And cause yeah, he, he injected L. So she passed out. So he carried her out and the second they walked out, he gets like shot. Yeah, by a, a sniper in a helicopter. Yeah. And they're like, they're waiting for the go to shoot Elle. While they're waiting, like she has her powers and she's starts spinning the helicopter. And like, yeah, she basically takes the helicopter out and yeah, she gets slams out of it there. into all their Jeeps. What a really yeah. cool scene. You gotta love seeing Elle go full superpower and just. Basically, Jean Grey in a helicopter into a bunch of trucks. Big explosion. Practical effect, too. That's what was so impressive to me. I was like, well, that cost him a pretty penny right there. Because you could tell that wasn't CGI. They definitely took an old helicopter and crashed it into some Jeeps. Well, then, at the time, she had this, like, uh, was it a collar? Yeah. This controller. Like, so before she did the helicopter thing, she couldn't move because Dr. Brenner had her in this collar. She couldn't do anything. And then he released it and then whatever. And so, like, he's dying. Or they want you to think he's dying because he ain't dead. I'm telling you, he ain't dead. He's coming back next season. Um, but, yeah, so basically he wanted her to say, like, that, he was doing the best he could and all this and she wouldn't give him that and i'm like yes you go yeah. girl and like <laughs> and of course the surfer boy van is off in the distance and pulls up as right before she has this little confrontation so she gets to reunite with mike and then they save her and drive off into the distance i love that they just had that surfer boy van for that whole fucking season yes and so then she tells them like what she knows because she already looked in on uh people in hawkins and knows that max is in trouble and they need to help her so they devise this plan that she can do it help her from afar if she can get into max's mind so they need to find a big tub with 600 pounds of salt and of course argyle knows the place i love how he's like measuring her that 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 should work bro that should work bro 
All right. I love when he goes into the pizza place. Yeah. Like, dude, like we're closing in like ten minutes, so like the ovens are off. He's like, I'd love He's- to, I'd love to help a fer- fellow surfer bro out and feed you, man. But like, the kitchen closed like ten minutes ago. Dude, we're not here for one of your bodacious pizzas. <laughs> you need to use your kitchen. Just need to use your kitchen, bro. Uh, and then uh, they pay him off with weed. You know, yeah. just if nothing more perfect one joint, than that. Too. One joint. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, he leaves the keys. And so then they're getting the like, uh, they empty the dough fridge and they fill it with water and all the salt. And while they're doing that, Argyle's making a pizza, which I'm like, dude, this is awesome. Like, yeah. this is the perfect thing. Because what else is he going to do? Right? Yeah, he's going to make pizza. He's a surfer, bro. So getting it all ready. And so then Al and Mike, oh yeah, they had a big fight earlier in the season. We forgot about that. And like the last thing that they said to each other were they're fighting. So then they're basically making up and then uh, Argyle comes over with this pizza and has pineapple on it. And they basically force feed Mike's pizza, which is like in the background of Jonathan and Will's like serious conversation. Yeah, but still super serious time, conversation. It's hilarious because you can hear it in the background. So like little things. Um, but yeah that's the whole thing that we didn't even really touch on yeah will and his i'm assuming he has feelings for mike yeah i think that's what's going on but like they haven't really like come out and said like this is what's going on but like i really like how jonathan is like the good big brother and the advice he gives him and stuff like that and like yeah i thought it was a good scene, which then they had to put Elle into the water so she could get into Max's mind. Yeah. Um, what was going on in Russia? They in Russia, again. they escaped the prison uh, with the help, Murray and all of them. And then they go back and uh, Yuri's only way to get uh, back home is Kachinka a helicopter <laughs> and also named after his former lover but that's we don't need to talk about that but so then yuri's being a dick and then they decide that they have to break back into the prison because they call a phone line to try and get in touch with the states they find out that the kids are in trouble but they know that the particles aka pieces of the shadow monster and the demigorgon are there so they make a plan to break back into the prison and fuck that shit up. Yep. And when they get back into the prison, they see that everybody is dead. Yeah. Because they were idiots and they let out all the demo dogs. Yeah. And so, but they had a flamethrower. So that helped out immensely. Yeah. Murray's a badass. But yeah, that's what's going on in Russia. And then in Hawkins, they're all deciding that they're going to go full on Rambo on Vecna and just going to break in there. I have this plan. Yeah. It was a four step plan. And Max said that she could lure Vecna in. And if she could control her memory, she could like go to a happy place and take him on, which didn't really work to their plan because Vecna is really strong. And yeah, it was. There's a lot going on because most of them were in the upside down, but Max and Lucas and um, 
Erica were on the outside and basically Lucas was watching Max and Erica was there the, doing the flashlight signals because I had to be quiet in the house because they were in the house where Vecna was at in the upside down because they didn't want to wake him. And so then everybody in the upside down, Dustin and Eddie's goal were, was to distract the bats so everyone else could get to Vecna and they could murder him with this axe. But yeah, they, Eddie and Dustin had their problems with the bats, even though it was a really sweet scene when he was playing Master of Puppets. I mean, like, that right there, $2 million, because you know Metallica don't come cheap. But one of the greatest scenes, like so awesome and like never something been so metal and also like brought a little tear to my eye because the minute he did that, I knew he was dying. I was like, like I was like, oh, Eddie, I knew from the beginning of the season he was going to die because like I knew they were going to have to sacrifice somebody and last one in first one out. So like. And also he kept saying, he's like, I'm not going to run. Like, and once he kept saying that, it's like, oh man, Eddie, Eddie, no, don't do it. Don't do it to me. That was pretty sweet. And then they they fortified that house, but they didn't take care of the vents on the roof. So they started getting in there. Um, Eddie's trailer, not a house. Eddie's trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eddie's trailer. Sorry, they're in the upside down. (laughs) There's a lot going on. And so then there were Robin, Nancy, and Steve are going up to like get Vecna in this house that has all these vines that are connected to Vecna that they have to avoid. And they're climbing up the stairs. First they get Robin, then they grab Steve, then they grab Nancy and they're just like trapped in the walls. There's nothing they can do. Vecna is basically like suffocating them like a boa constrictor. And like, it's real intense. It's like, oh man, you're going to lose. And the whole time in Russia, they know they have to kill all like the demon dogs because it's going to make Vecna weaker, weaker just in case, like, because they know that they're trying, like, they just know, yeah. they just know that they're trying to save Hawkins again. <laughs> like, but uh, I don't know. There's a lot of shit going on. Yeah. And then dickhead Jason comes in while Max is yeah. in Max's mind sphere she does actually outsmart Vecna for a while and goes to the winter ball where she got to dance with Lucas and everything at her happy place. But Vecna slowly breaks in there and it looks like he's about to kill her. And then suddenly L busts in and starts a battle with Vecna. And then shit just really goes off the rails. Yeah, because Vecna is way stronger than L. And he's just like whooping her ass, and it's like, oh my god, what's happening? Well, this happens. Yeah, Jason comes in and just starts beating the shit out of Lucas while the other basketball players kidnap Erica, yeah. so like they can't like like communicate between each other, and like, uh, oh my god, it was really intense. Yeah. So when like Elle's fighting Vecna, and Lucas is getting beat up like Vecna's winning and he has Max and he's about to kill her and she raises up in the air and that's what gives Lucas the strength to like yeah fight off Jason and Jason dies I forget how he died 
Oh, he doesn't die till the portal's open. They cut him in half when the portal's open. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, serves him right. Yeah. But uh, uh, but then Erica's spot where she kicks the asshole in the balls and then takes that mag light and goes, quick strike, and just whacks him in the face. I didn't cheer. I think I, that was one of the loudest cheers, and I like let out an audible cheer when she did it. Uh, there's so much fucking shit going on. Um, yeah, so they're, she's like up in the air, and like her bones start going inside out and like i'm like oh my god oh my god and yeah. then and vecna's just talking mad shit to l like i wanted you beside me but now i'm just gonna make you watch as i kill everyone you love and everything around you and then mike starts saying because she's like dying in that tub and mike finally says that he loves her and everything he's like come back to me and i love you and you have to fight you have to fight l and then uh l gets the power <laughs> yeah we also forgot to mention that he needs four deaths to like basically end the world yeah. basically do like the snap in infinity war yeah. so that a lot of it is like infinity war um so yeah so he's about to like kill her and then l gets the power and she stops him and like Max still alive, and it's a really sad scene because like Lucas is holding her, and she's like she can't see and she can't like feel anything, and like it's horrible. But uh, L wins. Yeah, L tosses him off the like thing in the mind sphere, and then in the actual upside down, uh, Steve and them get loose from the vines as also Hopper and them all, you know, perfect timing, obviously, because all at the exact same time, all of them actually start winning all of their fights and they roast the demi dogs and the demi gorgon uh, over in Russia, which allows Steve and them to escape the walls, which then they go upstairs and Molotov cocktail the fuck out of Vecna before Nancy just goes full on shotgun spree on his face. Yeah. And uh, launches them out a window. And then, of course, you know, when they, like, rush down to see if the body's still there. There's no body there. It's a classic horror movie trope. You have to stay, keep an eyes on the body at all times or else he's going to get away. That's just the rules, folks. Yeah. And while all this is going on, the guard talks Yuri into actually fixing the helicopter because, like, I mean, he probably would have died, too, because he would have had to fly it. They were going to make him fly it either way. And he gets them home safely. Yeah, and we have the super sad scene as uh, Max does technically die. And you have Elle uh, crying in the Upside Down. You have Lucas just bawling in the real world. And Elle just basically going, no, I'm not going to lose someone else. And somehow, I guess through the power of memory and love, brings Max back to life. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, she can't, like, fix her, like, wounds yeah. and stuff like that. So she's in the hospital and she's all, like, yeah. And also. In good shape. Yeah. And technically, Max did die. So as Vecna said, you've already lost. It doesn't matter what happens here. You've already lost. Because yeah. all four of the gates are opened. And the town of Hawkins is fucking wrecked. In full on, yeah, Infinity War style where the four gates all open and then these like cracks open that all form a line till they get to the center of town and meet up and just a huge explosion opens. 
And then we have the entire like ending scene where L uh, Max is still alive, but clearly in very critical condition. And we get to see the happy scene of Hopper and everyone coming back. But then we still get the tease of Will going, oh, no, Vecna's alive. Oh, I could feel him. He's hurt and he's pissed, but he's alive and he is not going to stop. I I really liked the reunion of Elle and Hopper. I liked the, how she said she kept the door open three inches. Like I liked their like father daughter relationship. And like, it was, it was a touching moment. I really liked it. Um, That was something that I was waiting for, for the whole season, because that's all he wanted to do is get her back. And she wanted the same thing. So like, I'm glad, like, I like how like, in stories things can work out that way and i really like that um yeah at the very end didn't it end with like the clock like uh, it ended with them staring at the like upstorm from the upside down kind of filtering into the world because they looked over i mean hawkins was still ruined and yeah. so there was that massive lightning storm gathering over the center of town and that was where they ended. And nobody knows when the next season is going to come out. Well, we know it's the last one. Next season's the last. The last. Um, I can't wait. And if it is another three years, I won't even be mad about it. You know, um, I, I'm guessing it will be. I'm guessing they're going to do it a lot sooner than they usually do it, just because if everyone can like work their contracts out, because a lot of people have been doing other stuff in between, but. Uh, did you hear that they went back and added the grandfather clock, like dong sound and earlier episodes when they're in the upside down, like when Will gets taken for the first time in the first season, they added that sound to make it like continuity, yeah. which I really like. I wish they would have known that this was kind of, I'm sure they knew it was the direction, but I wish they would have thought about that before. Well, I wish, but, I mean, they didn't think they were going to get this many seasons. I mean, they were a Netflix show. That was when Netflix wasn't like, ne- yeah, shows I think died. Their goal was only two originally. Yeah. I think they wanted to do two, but yeah. Um, the show's awesome. This is like the show. This is Netflix's favorite show. You know, this is the one that gives them the most praise. And For it was sure. one of their early shows too. Yeah. It's what kept Netflix or, you know, made Netflix the juggernaut that it is today. And though Netflix might be on its way out like the dinosaurs, it's, uh, you know, last swings will definitely be stranger things. People will hold on till that season five comes out for sure. It's our last little tantalizing thing. Oh, and Squid Game part two, because I want to see that real bad too. I mean, they have some good things, but yeah, Netflix isn't anywhere near what it used to be. I'm barely ever on there, but like, except for to watch like the Umbrella Academy or... and Stranger Things. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, uh, volume four of Stranger Things, best one so far. And holy fuck, Definitely. can't wait till volume five. All right. But that was uh, our Stranger Things topic uh, and the end of hashtag TRT. So let's kick uh, that sound effect on so we can get on out of here. All right, as always and forever, that sound effect means it's time for Final Thoughts. So, Diesel, what have you for us this week, my dude? Um, 
this week. This weekend, we might be going to an art fair in Oshkosh. I know Emily's planning on going. I don't know if I'm going to feel up to it or not. We'll see. We'll see. Um, other than that, I just want to know, I just want everyone that listens to this podcast to know that you are appreciated by both of us for like tuning in every week and tell everybody that you love that you love them because you never know when it'll be the last time. Yeah. It's true fact. Thank you all so much for listening to all of us. And we don't, you know, we say it often, but probably don't say it often enough. So just thank you. Uh, my final thoughts for the week are uh, we're taking Cooper to her first baseball game on Thursday. Yeah, it's the Mallards. So, but still a baseball game. So it'll be very exciting. Got our cute little Mallards ones. Games are fun. Yeah. Mallards games can be more fun than brewer games sometimes because like the, the entertainment factor. Oh, 100%. Uh, got our cute little ball cap. And then after the Mallards game, Allison and I are going to see Thor Love and Thunder because that comes out this week. So can't fucking wait. So excited for that. And then this weekend, we got a wedding. So I got a busy week ahead of me. I'm going to see Thor Love and Thunder in theaters. I just don't have a plan yet, but like, I'm definitely not going to miss that one in theaters. Yeah, you know me. I've seen basically every Marvel movie besides Black Widow since age of ultron at the palace cinemas in sun prairie and can't break that streak for opening nights are you going with allison yep yeah so that's the thing we gotta like because you know you have a kid now so you gotta find somebody to watch the kid you're like you're yep. not gonna bring him to that movie nope that would be my horrible. mom's picking her up that would be horrible <laughs> yeah i would not do that to other people that'd just be a dick no. move I, I don't know when the first time i'm gonna bring benji to a movie but it's gonna be a reasonable age yeah. you know I think the, I mean, you know, probably like maybe two, three. Then yeah, but like, yeah, it's be an appropriate movie. Like, oh you yeah, know what I mean, oh yeah, kids we'll movie, of course. Movie, no, right? No, kids movie. Right. All right. Well, I got nothing else to say for the week. So, Wait, Diesel, I do have one more thing to say. Okay. I'm not gonna let Benji watch any of like the Marvel movies until he's like eight, so he can actually like appreciate and like, you know what I mean. I would uh, tend to agree with that as well. You gotta, they got to be able to create or appreciate the nuances and all the interconnected yeah, and the waving webs. Yeah. All right, then. Well, with that, we have nothing left to say. So why don't you do some social media stuff so we can get on out of here? You can follow me on Twitter at Diesel underscore VFTR. You can follow Chad on Twitter at Chad's underscore mine or at VFTR2PO. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram by searching View from the Top Rope Official. You can follow us on YouTube by searching View from the Top Rope. Of View from Top Rope at gmail.com is our email address. Follow Visionaries Global Media on Twitter at Visionaries. No, I don't know. What is it? Viz Global Viz Media. Global Media. Yeah. 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 Um, visionaries global media at gmail.com is our email address that you want to send your podcasts in to be reviewed and uploaded to the network where you'll be heard on iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, 
pod knife potable and somebody told me that google play isn't a thing anymore so are we still on there i don't know i haven't used it i don't know but i bet you you can find us on a podcasting platform you enjoy by just searching visionaries global media or vftr 2.0 because folks we're everywhere and uh, as always, want to thank you all so very, very much for tuning into this madness that we call a podcast. Hopefully, we've gotten you through that boring workday, that workout that we're so proud of you for finishing, or whatever else you were doing while you were listening to our dulcet tones. As always, I have been Chad. He has been Diesel. Seriously, thank you all so very, 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 very much for listening to us. Make sure you tell your loved ones you love them. And always remember, be kind to each other out there. We're all just humans trying to survive on this blue spinning orb that we call Earth. And just always, always, always for the third thing to remember, because it's important to remember things, folks. (laughs) Remember to climb up high and enjoy VFTR (laughs) 2.0.